Hello, this is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon, the Shockmaster, the B-A-double-D, Big Steel Man, and you're listening to BBGWrestling.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Hands Off The Merchandise. I am Pablo and this is BBGWrestling.com. Now, before we get into today's interview, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the last Turnchuckle interview with Trevor Murdoch. It was our highest rated interview so far, uh, which is saying something considering some of the names that have been very lucky to uh, interview. Now, Hands Off The Merchandise is uh, a slightly different concept where we interview uh, people that, such as authors, uh, filmmakers, uh, video game developers, and today someone that uh, you know I, f- I found him on Facebook because he he must be very modest about this because he just posted it and then I jumped all over it because I was like I have so many questions to ask. Uh, a man who has worked for Merlin, uh, he has worked for Pedigree, who made all the WWE annuals. He has worked for Tops and he ran Euroshop for uh, a moment in time. I am joined with Richard Sparks. Hello. Hey Pablo, uh, yeah, good to talk to you, man. Loving the podcasts, and uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you very much. It, it's lovely as well that you you're British, and I don't have to do this at three o'clock in the morning um, <laughs> to accommodate time differences and stuff like that. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what, I mean, you know, these. It's going to sound a bit uh, what's the word cliched with some of the questions, but were you a lifelong wrestling fan? You know what? It's um, I think I have the kind of pattern that a lot of people, uh, my kind of age, I'm, I'm 40 next month. So, you know, I I was uh, born in 1980, and I, I think a lot of people, sort of my age, Sky TV came out, and you know, if you were lucky, your dad wanted to watch for football, so we got Sky Sports, and um, you know, the early. WWF stuff, uh, wrestling superstars and, and that kind of thing. So I was a huge fan when I was a kid, um, you know, probably up until the age of 14. And then there was that period where it was super, super uncool to be a, a wrestling <laughs> fan. Um, That's the period when I was like probably at my height of being a wrestling fan as well, when I first got into it and still the period that i love now and I'm, i get sideways glances for being a fan of giant gonzalez and wrestlemania 9 and stuff like that yeah, yeah you know what though yeah i mean some of i got back into it probably when i was 17 18 i worked with a guy in a bar and he was a full-on tape trader new japan um you know ecw was on tnt of that sort of time um and yeah ridiculous clocks sort of two in the morning sort of thing and uh <laughs> i remember chatting with him about it but when i was a kid growing up yeah i was um yeah super into it i was, I was at SummerSlam 92 um oh, you know, see, my, my birth. I, th- I think I'm the, I'm the only person i know who wasn't at SummerSlam 92 oh, really? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so my birthday is December, and I remember having to wait like six months for my present to sort of come to fruition, if you like, you know. So, yeah, my dad got my dad got me um, one ticket, so I went on my own at sort of 11, 12 years old to uh, Wembley. And this, uh, you know, looking back on it now, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad myself, and all right, my, my little girl's only four, but my dad was like, oh, we'll just meet you outside after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was it? 80 That's plus, insane. 80 plus thousand people and no mobile phones. And he was just like, yep, <laughs> enjoy the show. We'll see you after. I think I had like a fiver for a Coke and a Mars bar in it. God, what was it? It was about, it was about like a seven-hour show. So, uh, yeah, that was, and that was my first live show as well. So. Oh, that's amazing! Right, well, already so much to um, go into from that, you know, because people people are familiar with, you know, um, a lot of people our age got into wrestling around WrestleMania six because that was the first pay per view shown on Sky at the time like mm. at the time that it came out because before then in like 89 Wrestlemania 5 ended up on like what Sky Movies Plus or something like that but it, we didn't get it until like June so it was like almost like an actual movie um, mm. like months after it had been out in the cinema and stuff like that but Sky did the uh, the merger with the what was it the, the BSB the British Sky Broadcasting yeah. thing with um, who did the merger I always forget that um, Murdoch wasn't it? So it was with Murdoch, and wrestling was kind of at the helm of their launch, I guess. Um, and you know, we were talking about uh, uh, it was an '84 documentary about. Was it about sticker albums generally? Oh. Yeah, so it's kind of a story of um, how Merlin and Panini and their rivalry. Um, so obviously, I worked for Merlin which um, had already done a merger by the time I started with them in 2001, late 2001, uh, with Tops, Tops being the American company. Um, But a lot of the um, licenses retained the Merlin name uh, just because it had some sort of clout in the UK. Uh, But, yeah, basically uh, a guy called Kelvin Gardner uh, is a friend of mine um, owned Merlin, and um, but previously he'd worked for Panini, and he wanted to get into football stickers in the UK, and there were all sorts of licensing deals. And um, when uh, Premier League started and Sky came on board, uh, all, all those licensing deals were up for grabs. So he formed Merlin as a company and was in constant battles against Panini for who had the license on football and um, one of the ways that they managed to fund it was by getting involved with WWF um, in sort of 1990 I think was their foray into a WWF um, and the stickers just exploded um, and I think that probably had a a big part in um, them coming over for SummerSlam in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. I, I always think that the uh, that first album, The Superstars, the Black Album, um, yeah. was possibly the nicest looking cover. 
because they used the they used the superstars logo that they never really used on TV, where it was kind of the it was in the WWF font with that sort of um, color design and everything. But it was for the superstars logo. But they kind of used different logos on TV at that point. But um, I love the sort of the black background with the stars in it and stuff like that, and it just looked very appealing to kids, I guess, because they look like superheroes. You know, especially yeah. them with like Hogan and Warrior and stuff. You know, and and you know, just the fact that we're still talking about it and we refer to yeah. it as the Black Album, you know, like the Beatles <laughs> White Album. You know, it's um, yeah, it's an iconic bit of design. The guy who designed that is a guy called Paul. Uh, his surname slips my mind, but he's been with Merlin forever, and is still there. Um, you know, so. The production of those uh, sticker albums back in the day was crazy. You know, obviously I wasn't there. You know, I, I was collecting them. I was a kid collecting them. Yeah. But yeah, to do all that by hand, you know, with no sort of, uh, you know, Photoshop didn't exist. You know, it was, yeah, I, um, cutting up pictures and laying them out on paper and then going to print that way. Um, yeah, I think that one's really stood the test of time, and you can see that in a lot of the things that came on afterwards, like the Heritage Collection, uh, when when we get into trading cards, you know, that throwback to those original designs um, is still something they're doing today. So. Oh, absolutely. So how, I, I mean, oh, there's so much stuff I want to <laughs> ask, but... Um... From your knowledge, I mean, from back then, but I guess the same thing happened when you were there as well. How did you get access to WWE's photo library? Did you request stuff or did they send you stock images that, you know, because it, it, it got to a point, I mean, especially now where it seems to be the same image on a lot of things now because of like branding and stuff. But, um, you know, there were uh, some of the best studio shots of all time were on that black album. Um, some iconic stuff that, you know, is still used now and the logos and stuff like that. Like did, um, Merlin design the wrestlers logos at that point for the, the shiny stickers or, cause it wasn't like they were being used on other merchandise. Like if you look at like rugged Ronnie Garvin's logo and stuff, there wasn't exactly a, a slew of rugged Ronnie Garvin merchandise <laughs> out there, you know? No, you know what? Um, I don't know on the black album. Um, but you know the albums I worked on. Um, so a seventy-two page album could have three hundred and fifty images in it, um, and it was literally a case of writing. Well, first you have to have a license to use any any WWE imagery, and they're one of the hottest companies uh, on like. Um, uh, taking legal action against people <laughs> without, yeah. and rightly so, you know, their, their collateral is like really important to them. It's their brand, and you know, uh, the uh, superstars in inverted commas, as I got taught to call them, um, <laughs> are, are, are their brand. You know, you, know, you kind of have to forget that they're human beings and look at them as, as if they're Disney characters, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, I. Basically, the start process to it would be to make an Excel sheet, uh, do it page by page and say, right, I need a, a Cena action shot, a Cena studio shot, 
a scene, a um, backstage shot for this page. Um, and yeah, they'd provide it. Um, or they provide me a few options for each and, and we go from there. It was, um, it was, yeah, it, it was a lot to go through. Um, I mean, I've worked with other, my, my job at uh, Tops and Merlin was, I did the entertainment side of things, um, but it ended up primarily being wrestling. But I also worked with, on, on the Star Wars uh, licenses and the Lord of the Rings and like LucasArts are, are incredibly protective over okay. their stuff and you, know, you yeah. have to sign non-disclosures and all that kind of thing and um, yeah but WE were really good at providing the imagery. Uh, in terms of logos, yeah um, I guess back in the day Paul probably did design those. Um, yeah, yeah I'm that's, sure. He that's, cra that's crazy isn't it to think about like um, the, I mean, Merlin, as a kid, they was, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if like sort of market research, etc. goes into what colors appeal to children, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what is visually appealing, etc. But I was collecting Merlin albums of things that I didn't really even have much interest in just because the albums look nice. <laughs> like yeah. I wasn't really a football fan, but I collected the Premier League because, I mean, art at school, like being from Newcastle, if you got the Newcastle shiny, like you know, you were You're like the king of the world. Yeah. Oh yeah, and if you got number one with the Premier uh, League logo, or you got the FA Cup shiny, um, you know the um, I collected the Gladiators ones, oh, all kinds. Yeah. But the first wrestling one that I um, really collected, um, because you talk about some some ninety two, and that was kind of like the 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 peak of. Every like I stand by that WWF was probably more popular in this country in the early nineties than it was even during the Attitude Era because it was on mainstream. You know, wrestlers were showing up everywhere on mainstream television. Um, yeah, and I think people think I mean because you know, Summer Summer ninety two led to WrestleMania the album hitting the top ten. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the, it was that Christmas when I got my first figures. I got the WCW ring and I got a. I didn't know who these people were. Like I got a couple of Rick there on Anderson, Undertaker, Big Boss Man, and then I was kind of intrigued by it. And then was getting a couple of videos here and there. And then I got WrestleMania the album for my birthday, first ever album on cassette. Um, still holds a place in my heart, you know. Um, and on your musician. <laughs> you can't be going around you know, saying that you know to what? your muso mates. Oh, what was your first album? Oh, well, WrestleMania the album. You know what? Musically, it 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 has validity to it. Musically, in my opinion, the Bret Hart song. Did you know that that was originally written for David Hasselhoff? Really? Well, yeah. it doesn't surprise me. I think any of those songs could have been written for David Hasselhoff. Well, he he found it too cheesy. So then they put it on the shelf and then gave it to Brett. And then Brett did like a Shatner sort of talking over it. But um, the son um, was giving away vouchers for to save up to get the sticker album and all that kind of thing. And that's that was the first sticker album that I got was the '93 one with Brett on the cover. The, uh, pink, the, pink, one. the pink one, yeah. That you know you you say about the black one, but the um that, that pink one is the first one I remember. I I don't remember the black one as a kid. Um, well, I do remember the the blue one, but I didn't really collect it. I remember getting a couple of packs of stickers here and there. But then there was also me and um, uh, 
a co-host, uh, Mark, we did a little video on the Red album um, because there was a UK version, but there was also like a European version mm. with a slightly different roster in it. Um, mm. And the timeline was, because the blue one was 91, the red one was 92, pink was 93, and then black was 94 for the Undertaker, black and grey, I guess. Like, um, yeah. But the, the red one... We're kind of like sort of looking at it, and it seems like the UK one came out first, but the European one kind of came out late '92 because it had all those kind of crossover names that were kind of like like British Bulldog and Roddy Piper were still in there, but your Bob Backlands and your Bam Bam Bigelows who were just coming in, and your Max Moons etc. were also in there as well. And I think it was, I don't know if it was was a Serbian or something like that. It was like some random country somewhere because on ebay you can just buy boxes of those stick they must have sold like no copies of that album on um, which one the red album the, the the not the british one but the european one um because there was like i said there's some slightly different pages on it but the, getting packs of those european red stickers are so easy you can just buy boxes full on ebay um and we started a youtube show where we were sort of you know opening the packs and filling in the album and stuff like that because it was just they just can't seem to get rid of <laughs> like for how rare some of like the sealed packets from like the black album the blue album are like that red album the european version is just insanely easy to get mm. yeah but i'm just looking at it now as we're talking and it, it has yeah. a slightly different cover as well like both red covers but with a different roster on each yeah yeah, I'm not sure where that went out. Mast, Denny Mast. Yeah, it might... Hmm. It could have been Italian, you know, because Italy has always been um, a big market for for Merlin and especially for wrestling. But, yeah, I, I'm i not sure. I'm not sure. So, but, what, sorry, sorry, go, go on. on. Oh no! Well, I'm just I'm just rambling now because this is your interview, and then I'm just kind of nerding out quite a bit. But the, <laughs> the '95 album, the UK one uh, with Diesel on the cover, the kind of the purple pink album, yeah. um, that was a Merlin album. But in Italy, there was a Panini album um, with Diesel, Bam Bam, and a few others on the front. And that's kind of like a grey sort of cover. Um, well. It, were there conflicts of interest, like from what you know, when like both Merlin and Panini are both making sticker albums in different territories? Oh. You know, the funny thing uh, with Panini and Merlin is obviously Panini is an Italian company originally um, and had a very similar sort of model to um, to Merlin in terms of, you know, starting with football and going, going from there. Um the Merlin or, or the Tops office and Panini office are literally across the road from each other in Milan, or they were when I worked there. Like, um, I remember once I was out there doing some stuff with um, WE International, and I, I'm not a football guy, so you'll have to excuse me, but there was a referee with a bald head and like big froggy eyes. Do you know the guy? I remember. I can't remember his name, but yeah, I do know who you mean. <laughs> but um, all of a sudden, everyone in the in the tops office ran over to the windows, and it was that referee going into the uh, Panini office, and they were all like shouting abuse at him. Basically, um, we were that close, and that was um, yeah, they were doing 
whatever the Italian Football League is called, as as were um, tops. So yeah, there's always been uh, healthy competition, and um, it, it's all down to licensing. You know, like WWE will give you the license for a certain period of time, and if if you do well with it, then your competition is going to want to try and get that license. And so when it comes up. Uh, you know, Panini or, or any other company are, are allowed to bid for it. Um, and, you know, WE will be like, take the highest uh, take the highest bidder, much like they did, you know, in, in terms of figures, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think we briefly spoke about uh, figures last night and that documentary, The Toys That Made Us, you know, you, you can see how all the different toy companies were battling for, um, for that licence. And so it's, who, it's whoever presents um, WWE with the best deal. In Italy, though, um, licensing laws certainly weren't as stringent as they were in the UK. And so there's, you know, you'd get no end of knockoff um, un- unofficial gear, uh, which was always fun when I was out in Milan to uh, go around the news agents collecting them and bringing those home. Uh, some some of the imagery in that is obviously like fan shot, you know, with um with their little disposable cameras. You know, if you're lucky <laughs> enough to get front row, then I think you could sell those pictures to whoever was producing the knockoff stuff. Um, but you know, bootlegs have always been a part of, of, of wrestling merchandise, haven't they? And um, you know, stickers and trading cards are. Are just part of that, and some of the bootlegs are just as collectible as as the official stuff now. This is true. Some of, the, I think, the earliest bootleg stuff that I have, um, and this goes back to some of some ninety two. There must have been like I've seen, you know, at local shows, like sort of um, people selling like whistles and all that kind of stuff, and like rattles, and you know, nothing to do with wrestling whatsoever. But at some of some ninety two, there was someone selling these badges. Um, of Bret Hart, Ultimate Warrior, and Bulldog, and they were kind of like drawn on, and they had like some of some ninety two underneath and Wembley Stadium and all that. And I've seen them about, and then they came up on eBay, and I bought them. And I can't. It, it was a fellow collector, I think, who confirmed that uh, they were bootlegs because they were. I was kind of intrigued by them, but the, the um, Mark again uh, bought again. It was again some sort of like maybe Eastern European eBay or something like that. And it was like a full box of this card game, kind of like Top Trumps. And um, it, they were made around about 2003, something like that. But they would computer print out digital images of wrestlers, so like really poor quality. And mm. they, would have, they would have stats. But like what made me laugh was for, it would be like height, weight, all that kind of thing. And just a, a points-based system that would make no sense so like bull buchanan would have like four thousand points but the rock would have like 72 points or something like that right um, for some of the women it actually said chest size as well (laughs) Um, (laughs) honestly we were just sat in a cafe playing it and we were pissing ourselves just (laughs) just at how funny these cards were but um yeah so the um it's kind of weird because like panini 
back back in my day, you know, were kind of uh, they made like the the European sticker album for football, like you you wrote by sticker albums and all that kind of thing. And I always thought that Panini just wasn't quite as good, <laughs> and I might get like killed for that. But like the the earliest Panini stuff that I've got from WWF were the Pogs that they did in '95. Right. Um, okay. And then I became like a massive POG collector at that point, like WWF POGs, because there's a company called West Rocks that made them in America, and then Panini did them over here. Um, But the last sticker album was 95, the Diesel album, until the Metal album in like 1999. Mm. Um, So from your knowledge, do you know why there was a gap there? Well, sort of 99 and... 2000 were odd years i'm not sure tops had it i remember there being one by a company called magic box which came out in 2000 did they make uh, the big sticker album the giant one or was that merlin as well uh merlin did giant ones okay Uh, they did the photo album yeah okay yeah um magic box did one and it was just it, it was it was called SmackDown, and f- from what I remember, the brand split had kind of happened, and I remember looking at it and thinking, why are the guys from Raw in it? Um, so yeah, I'm not sure what. I, I get, it was just before I sort of started. Um, they took me on um, because they'd got the license back. So it was. Um, yeah, I think I think ninety nine two thousand was a sort of odd period where um, the license just kept moving around between companies, um, mm. and yeah, it was a strange one. Um, I guess at that point as well, that sort of mid to late nineties period when I mean, let's face it, WWF was on its arse until ninety nine, really. Mm. Um, you know, because once. They did their first European tour in a, a, a or first UK tour in a good while. Like um, that's when merchandise started to hit, like HMV and stuff like that. I noticed, and the figures started showing up. And again, that's when the even the calendars, like they were still making calendars, but I never saw them in shops. Um, and it was a company called was it Danilo or Danilo or something like that. They did the calendars. Danilo, yeah, Danilo. Um, yeah. But you just didn't see them. And I remember being gutted after, because I loved the the 95 album, because they were the first to do the 3D stickers as well. Um, and 96, they, they just weren't there. And I'm assuming, like, looking back on it now, maybe the 95 album didn't sell quite as well, because you didn't have your Hogan's, your Warriors, and putting Diesel on the cover might have been a bit of a gamble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess... Because we're not kids and we we look at um, wrestling as 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 a whole, you know, we can look back now and say, you know, Diesel's run with the title was the lowest drawing or or whatever. Mm. Um, and when wrestling's hot, it's really hot. And this is where you get all the weird merchandise because people see a license that's really hot, think, you know, shit will start selling wrestling onions or whatever will stick a wf <laughs> logo on it you know uh, i'm not so, above i'm not above buying them like no you know it's <laughs> a good way of promoting healthy eating <laughs> i don't know um so 
Yeah, yeah. We, we were saying at the start about that period where I sort of dropped out and you, and you picked it up and you had like, what was it uh, Doink in his Doink versus like Crush in with his Hawaiian gimmick? You know, I, I've seen all those matches now, but that was like a semi-main event or something. <laughs> I, you know, and it's like for me, I that that period, yeah, wrestling was well, WF certainly was on its ass and. Um, yeah. WCW was coming in. I mean, that's a whole other thing. You know, Tops uh, at one point were doing the WCW trading cards. Um, they were. Uh, yeah. um, unfortunately, when I, well, not unfortunately, but you know, when, when I came in, you know, WCW uh, didn't really exist and um, there, there was no call for it anymore. But I'd have loved to have got involved in WCW as well. My second show. And my favourite show that I've ever been to uh, was um, May 12th, I think it was. I think that sticks in my mind. '94 of the NEC, uh, saying WCW. And I, I was uh, second row and got to high five Sting and, <laughs> and, and Bulldog. So would it have been '94? Nice. Yeah, that um, sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, was because I always get a bit confused about the Bulldog WCW run at that time because I saw Bulldog in '94 right before going back to WWF did an independent tour in Britain. Um, I don't. It might have been like a what do you call him? Uh, Dixon, Brian Dixon. Uh, yeah, the old, yeah. The old promoter. Um, it might have been him, but he was obviously the star of the show. Um, and he came to Gated Leisure Centre. I mean, these were really small venues that they were doing at this point. Um, Are you sure it was really Davy Boy? It wasn't just <laughs> I would dress. Yeah. Well, if it, if it no, it, no, because again, right, I've told everyone this story, and if I tell you this, then I've officially told everyone, including Diana Hart. I have told her this story um, that my mum met Diana Hart in the bathroom, um, like during the intermission of the show, um, and. She told me, and I was like kind of jealous that she got to meet Diana Hart. So I, I do have a picture with Bulldog somewhere, but during the intermission, it's just it was like an ECW riot. We all just got in the ring and started jumping off the turnbuckles. And... <laughs> so what led to the merger between Tops and Merlin? Um, yeah, so the guy who ran Merlin, Kelvin Gardner, uh, he'd set it up when they left Panini, and. Actually, I think the merger sort of started in the late 90s um, and it was all financial. Uh, basically, Merlin were doing pretty well but wanted to get bigger licenses and uh, that needs some money. And, you know, Tops in the US had been around for years with, um, you know, uh, baseball trading cards and Bazooka Joe, Bazooka Joe Bobble gum is how tops uh, sort of started they did bubble gum first and then thought oh you know we'll put a collectible in the bubble gum and people will buy buy more bubble gum um mm-hmm. yeah so, I'm, I'm that kind of sucker that will go yeah 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 me too. <laughs> um and so tops you know at the time were a, a huge huge financial powerhouse in 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 publishing and uh saw that Merlin were doing really well in Europe. Tops didn't have any sort of European exposure. Um, so they bought out Merlin, really, but kept Merlin going 
as a separate entity up until sort of the late 90s, early early noughties, where um, everything just became, you know, then it was Tops Europe Limited and, you know, the Merlin brand was sort of reserved then for Premier League um, just because it had that historical context. And um, that was the end of Merlin WWF stuff. Uh, and it all moved to the Tops brand. Um, so. Now, the, yeah. the, the last thing I remember, WWF slash, well, I think it still would have been WWF-wise from Merlin, was the uh, the poster magazines that came out in 2000. Yeah. Um, and they ended around about 2002. So, right, my, I, I don't know what you know, well, you'll know more than me about this, Um because they did the Sporting Superstars poster magazines in, from 1991 to 1993. And yeah. those were some of the first things I ever got as a wrestling fan. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> um, so- if you look at the final um, issue of that, and I, I can't remember off the top, I think it might have been the Steiner Brothers issue. You may know better than me. Um, if that rings a bell, the guy, yeah. who, the guy who wrote those was my big boss by the time uh, I started, a, a guy called Dick Wallace, who's uh, still a good friend of mine. And um, yeah, so he was writing those. Again, it was all the lead up to SummerSlam 92 mm-hmm. and, and post-SummerSlam and the popula- popularity of it. Um, so like, you know, we were talking about the Black Album and the early Sticker Albums. Um, Dick actually gave me uh, a black album that he'd taken to SummerSlam 92 and he was on the the licensing side. So his two kids were like hanging out with Bulldog and stuff, (laughs) getting all the photos. And he got he got it signed by a load of people like I think I'll put the Boschwackers on there, Tatanka. Like I'm gutted I didn't get Bulldog or anything. Oh, yeah. He he gave me that copy years, years later um, that, that he he'd had there but yeah he he wrote all of those post magazines that i was uh, buying as a kid that's yeah. incredible see the, the thing is with that um I, f- I find them kind of re- hilarious to read now because they're almost just giant infomercials for wwf and i think the word like fantastic and marvelous and brilliant is used in like every paragraph almost like it was a requirement to just say how great wwf was um yeah. I mean, of um, course, of course, back then everything was kayfabed, wasn't it? It's you true. Know, um, true. Yeah, it wasn't until a lot later that any any kind of reality came into any of the collections or, or the post <laughs> magazines. But when I started, we did uh, redo the post magazines, um, but I think they ended up only going out in Italy, um, which was a shame because my face is in all of them which uh, is my little claim to fame. Uh, I came up with a little character uh, called uh, the Insider, or in um, in Italian it was La Spia. <laughs> and um, he was like a bad guy, you know, a heel sort of manager, calling people pencil neck geeks. And the kids, <laughs> had, kids would write in with a question, and I'd like throw a little bit of reality in there and uh, then just... Have a go at the kids for being so stupid. 
I was going to get entirely into that because the the sporting superstars after the the last issue it says oh in next month's issue Tatanka on the front and it never came out and then yeah. the same the same thing happened with the two thousand two thousand and one that which came with just amazing free gifts every day it was the precursor the kids magazine really um yeah. came with a VHS one time um came with tattoos I mean obviously the Merlin crossover um with the stickers and everything and then that kind of just it said next month this and then it never came out and then i know they made one for the uh, i think it was the australian tour um mm. and then i randomly saw a one with eddie guerrero on from like 2004 2005 and those were yeah. the italian ones and i yeah, was so, very intrigued by those yeah i mean it was something we we were trying you know it was a a lot a lot of um a lot of things in publishing are like trial and error I mean, who would have thought Pogs would take off like they did, <laughs> you know? Um, so, I mean, you know, a bit like wrestling in, in publishing, there's not really anything new you can do, you know? Um, it's, and with WF being so, like, secular, it, it's a case of, you know, rehashing things that have worked in the past. I mean, the word, there was the official Merlin WF superstars. And I remember doing one of those that came out around the time of Rebellion Tour when um, they did the big show in Manchester. Yeah, that, that when you opened the poster, it had a, a few wrestlers with the Union Jack on the background as well, didn't it? Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember for some reason putting um, Rhino on the front i think i think that yeah. might have been the one yeah and um yeah and rhino was like front and center and i think it was because i'd been out on the piss with him and he was a really nice guy oh um, that's so good because i think i mean poster was probably the rock was it if oh, i, I should know. look it up but um because yeah, how it worked was, for those who don't know, there was a main poster, like a giant one, and then the other side was the magazine plus half a size poster. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, I made those decisions a few times, like, and <laughs> then had to explain them to um, WWE themselves. You know, like, I'd, obviously with Euro Shop, we had the mail order catalogue, and it's an odd one, but I was obsessed with Nidia. I was so in love with Nydia. She was like really, really nice person. And I, for whatever reason, I fancied her like massively when no one oh, yeah. else did. But um, I put her on the front cover of a Euroshop catalogue and, and got a phone call like, why have you put Nydia on, on the front <laughs> cover? I'm like, oh, um, you know, and obviously my motive behind it was to meet her one day and go oh look look what i did let's go for a drink (laughs) (laughs) never happened um it it reminds me of um the you know the lemon cards they were they were danilo danilo um there was a a set that came out over here and it was for raw smackdown and ecw and on the binder you had john cena for raw you had batista for smackdown and then you had al snow right in the middle for ECW. (laughs) (laughs) and nothing at all against al snow but it's just it was such an odd choice for the 2006 ecw yeah and you know like 
tops after I finish with them. Yeah, I, I won't slate anyone, but they did a collection. I can't remember the name of it, but um, it was the first one they put out that I hadn't written. So obviously, I had a bit of interest in mm-hmm. it. I got it. I was like, just some of the choices of the images and like who they were pushing. You could tell that the person doing it wasn't a massive fan, you know, and mm. it's just a bit clueless of of what the UK market was expecting and what, what they wanted. But you get that because, you know, there aren't, <laughs> I don't want to sound big headed, but I was like a leading expert in WWF and WWE. And mm. there aren't many of us, you know, there's loads of fans. Um, but and there's loads of people with like encyclopedic knowledge of of of, of the brand. But um, you know, for for one of them to then get a job in it is very rare. And most publishing companies just have really good writers who can write about everything, but don't have a specialism in in something as weird as wrestling. I and agree. I think just because I was a massive fan, I probably had a a bit of an advantage you see you see that with loads of other companies who you know they'll just get their sports editor to write about wrestling and i think sometimes you know it doesn't quite have the same feel or appeal you know to the fan which is a shame but um i agree well the thing is as well it's you know you're not trying to just present facts you have to do it in an entertaining way uh, mm. and you also have to appeal to kids as well which you know I, which is why i understand some of the vernacular used in the old sport and superstars magazines etc because you know it um i guess you have to hook them and make them and you know that all comes down to colorful imagery as well and maybe the free gifts and stuff like that so i mean I, and i want to get into that but what led to um, you ending up on um, was it was Merlin first? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like what ended? What um, led to you ending up on their radar? Um, it was a weird one. So I I went to uni. I did like basically an IT uh, course back in you know the early days of web design and stuff. Um, I'd done like Eng- English A level and did okay at it. I was never really a writer. Um, did uni, decided I didn't want to work in IT. I'd made a bit of money at uni, uh, bought a pub when I when I finished oh. uni, and then um, and ended up <laughs> meeting... Wait, wait a minute. What? <laughs> How did you just buy a pub coming straight out of uni? <laughs> um, so, the, yeah, so I it's really geeky and boring, okay. but like, I, um, I designed... Uh, what was basically a database-driven website, um, which I then sold to a company for, like, n- no real money. It was, like, 30K or something I got. You know, don't get me wrong, it's a lot of money, but mm-hmm. you know, if, if I'd have come up with something that innovative today, I'd, I'd be doing all right, you know. Um, uh, and, yeah, I just thought, oh, screw it, buy a pub. Um, but what... <laughs> Whilst I was at this pub, running this pub, uh, I met a girl and she was from Milton Keynes. And uh, after sort of 18 months of the pub and, you know, a bit of liver disease, I was like, I've had enough of this. Uh, and me and her moved back to Milton Keynes, which is where Merlin has always been based. Mm. And uh, I, I was 
working some just crappy jobs. I worked at Silverstone selling track days and stuff. And I was looking through the local paper one day and saw the um, WF scratch logo, as it was then. And uh, that sort of caught my eye. And I thought, oh, OK, I've not really watched it for a few years, but that sounds like a fun job doing sticker albums. And um, so I applied. And um, yeah, so it was a weird interview. The guy who was sort of director of publishing at the time, uh, Chris Petrie, I think his name was, um, he, uh, he, he called me in for this interview. And he was, he was sat on his desk and he was drooling out of his um, mouth. <laughs> and I was, I was like, is this guy on the up and up or what? You know, and, uh, yeah, and he just didn't make any mention of it. And there was li- literally like drool dropping onto his desk. And he was asking me about wrestling and you know, what my favourite matches were and who my favourite superstars were. And then he sort of gave me a little project, gave me like, half an hour to write a 500 word piece on my favorite match and i think the, the match that had stuck out in my head as it did for a lot of us in uh, in that sort of era was uh undertaker mankind hell in a cell i just wrote a little uh write-up on that and he came back in still drooling and <laughs> um and then I had to like ID a load of guys, uh, past and present, and like I think three minute warning were just coming out at the time. I had no idea who they were because I'd not watched it. And um, yeah, so I, I did all that and um, left for thought nothing more of it. Just like how weird this drooling man was. And then about a week later, I got a phone call saying, "Oh, you got the job." <clears throat> and, um, so I started as like a junior copywriter on about ten grand, I think. You know, like it was it was pretty low money even for back then. Um, but uh, yeah, just greatest job I've I've ever had. You know, it was um, it was amazing. And then just worked my way up. But you know, initially I was taken on uh, to look after the wrestling, but that sort of then became entertainment editor. So I did a lot of the film stuff, so Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and then all the cartoon stuff. Um, So uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was one of mine. I did the the first um, trading card uh, for Pokemon, which up until until Match Attacks, which is obviously massive now, that was mm-hmm. the biggest selling one. Yeah. It wasn't the game cards, obviously, that's something different, but the first trading card Pokemon collection I did, and Yu Gi Oh!, uh, SpongeBob, uh, Garbage Pail Kids. Um, there was a lot of sort of manga y stuff coming out at the time. There was one called Tokyo Mew Mew, which was absolutely perverse, but quite <laughs> fun to do. Um, and yeah, and then some of the big movie licenses as well. Um, but WE was all always my primary. And then a guy left who had been running Euroshop, but had no real interest in in wrestling. So I kind of took on that role as well of like choosing the products and and uh, promoting the website and stuff. So yeah, WE was sort of probably about. 
70% of my job and then dipping in and out of the other stuff whilst uh, the rest of the team were concentrating on Premier League, which was always the number one for uh, Merlin. Yeah. So did, did Euroshop have a direct connection with Tops and Merlin then? Is yeah, that yeah. how you ended up yeah. in that job? Yeah, we, like I, I walked out of my little office into the warehouse and there was you know, hundreds of rows of bins with all the T-shirts, all the pins, the hoodies, the hats. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it was owned by Merlin. It was just a, another licence that um, we bought to do the merchandise in, in Europe. And they had that for uh, quite a few years. And, and it was after I left that it went um, back in-house to WWE. So. Mm. And I'm not sure who runs it now. I know it still carries the name, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's nothing to do with tops anymore. So when you got brought into um, to manage Euroshop, mm. um, what was required in terms of like were changes needed? Were things not working? Um, <laughs> like, did were you offered to were you asked to bring in ideas, etc.? Yeah, you know what it was. Um, it was a lot of, oh, we'll just copy what they do on WE Shop <clears throat> and, um, and, or Shop Zone, was it called? Shop, Shop Zone, yeah. Did, yeah. Was there any intermingling then, or was it just completely separate? Oh. Well, what would happen was um, WE had their in house designers who did, you know, all the graphics for t shirt, all the t shirt designs, and, and um, they'd send them to me and uh, we'd get them printed printed in the UK but there were some that like um just weren't ever going to sell so you know I'm trying to think of an example but you know like a a Rico t-shirt <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say Maven <laughs> yeah or a Maven shirt I mean it just wasn't financially viable for us yeah. to go and print a thousand of those t-shirts because we'd just be stuck with them so they needed someone in house that knew what was going on and 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 uh, you know what was going on in storylines and who was popular and that kind of thing to say oh yeah okay this is worth doing. So otherwise yeah we'd just get stuck with a thousand Maven t-shirts forever and ever. And um, you know and then on on the other hand you know there was no like William Regal uh, merch coming out of the US. So we had a team of designers. I'd just be like, right, can we do a, I'll, I will besmirch you, I think was one of his catchphrases at the time. Mm-hmm. I'll besmirch you, and, you know, the knuckle dusters, and we'd do a short run of them, and, you know, it meant it meant William Regal was getting a royalty check at the end of the month. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it worked both ways, you know, and, and like I, I've said previously, the you know, what was going on in the UK. We like different guys to uh, to that, that they do in the States sometimes. You know, Christian was uh, always popular in the UK, but he wasn't selling any merch in the US. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, it was just, um, it was really just having an idea of what the UK fan base wanted. Oh, I didn't always get it right, you know, like... <laughs> 
Go on. So what, what are some of like the regrettable ones? <laughs> uh, Five thousand. I love my testicles. T-shirts, <laughs> uh, which were selling okay, but then uh, we had to uh, take them off because we just got loads of complaints. Um, for those who don't know, that was a T-shirt for test uh, for yeah. a very short run where Stacey Keebler was like, right, I'm going to become your marketing PA person and we're going to call your fans testicles. It was a it was a post-attitude era sort of still trying to be, I don't know, controversial, but sort of it's yeah. just not working a lot. <laughs> it was um, oh, one that was just gross, man. The uh, Rikishi backed that ass up. And oh, it was just on, a picture of his ass, wasn't it? On on the back, yeah. So it's like printed on the on the bottom of the back of the t-shirt. So you just look like you were you had like a, a thong on, and that was gross. Like they never sold. Um, JR's barbecue sauce that was quite expensive to import, um, and there's probably still a few boxes of that knocking around that warehouse. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we'll get this barbecue sauce. And I don't know if you ever got to taste it, but it was rank. Never did. Oh, was it not good? I've heard it no, was good. It was oh, okay. Absolute rank. <laughs> <laughs> you've, then, heard it you know, from, you've heard it from an employee of, uh, you know, WWE. So there you go. And like, and then there were some questionable things, you know, like, and my motives were probably quite questionable. Like I was getting married and I really wanted some WWE cufflinks. It was a little, <laughs> little bit of a nod. And oh. uh, yeah, so <laughs> we ended up getting those made. And um, there's a guy uh, who I still do a little bit of business with in, in my job now. And he was based uh, near Milton Keynes. And his company could basically print anything you want on anything and he could get it within like five working days so you know the possibilities were endless you know you were like a god you were just like i shall make this now we did some ray mysterio clocks and i remember going and meeting ray for like a signing i took him these clocks and he was like oh wow these are amazing he's like i'll give them to my son dominic and you know dom's now in it you know so um at some point Dominic would have had a little Rey Mysterio 619 uh, clock. Yeah. Was there any other merchandise that a wrestler saw of themselves and they were like, this is terrible? Um, you know what? Not so much. I mean, I'm sure there were like some of the lower card guys who probably hated <clears throat> their stuff. Um, one guy who was always really interested... And, you know, people either love him or hate him. But I I, I met him when he was um, really early in the Thugonomic sort of stage. And that's Cena. Mm-hmm. I met him really early days into that. So he'd just gone from bike a short Cena. They'd been on that European tour and Steph had heard him rapping on the bus and was like, oh, OK, we can do something with this. And, um, you know, like the padlock that he used to wear and stuff, we'd just... Sort of been doing that and um i met him and he, he we we're, were chatting about his merch and you know and i was saying oh yeah you, your merch sales are just going crazy and he had a lot of input into his own merch and you know that kind of throwback style mm-hmm. 
and I, I didn't see him for a year and saw him a year later and he shouts at me across the room and he's like, you remember my name and all this and he's just a, a real professional and that's why he's done so well, you know. Um, and so, yeah, the Cena stuff was, yeah, he was really interested. But I don't, I, re, I remember like some guys like in the bar and stuff after after live shows, they you know, after a few drinks or whatever, they'd be like, why haven't we got more T-shirts? Because <laughs> like, no one likes you, Matt Hardy. Um, yeah. um, How times have changed, though. You know, Matt Hardy yeah. shirt would do well now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, when he was doing the sort of V1 stuff, mm. um, and he insisted on putting it on that sort of lilac, pink, pinky purple T-shirt, Um Oh, yeah. that didn't sell, did it? <laughs> just didn't sell, yeah. I liked it. But, um... well, it's kind of an iconic, because he wore it on TV every week, and not every wrestler wore their own merch on TV. Um, no. You know, um, and I'm guessing that probably did help sales. Like, were they, I'm guessing they were, like, encouraged to wear their merch on TV. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at, um, like, Stone Cold, you know, when he actually wrestled, he, he was generally topless, wasn't he? But... Um, Hmm. any backstage vignette he he had a you know a 316 or he had a what or he had a byob and so he, he was always wearing as much as much as he could and if you look at the figures like the old jacks figures there's loads and loads of jacks figures with um stone cold in a t-shirt because he made his money in in wrestling from merch you know hmm. uh, just hitting on that 316, you know, uh, out of the blue and it taking off. And, you know, Stone Cold was, I loved his merch because it was easy. It was so easy to print a black T-shirt and some white <laughs> writing, you know, it's the simplest stuff. And, you know, uh, cost-wise, they were the cheapest to, to have made. So it was a one-colour print instead of a four-colour screen print. Um so yeah, I thought, I thought the stuff that was shown on TV generally did better because, you know, as wrestling fans, we're fairly easily influenced, I guess. This is very true. Well, speaking of influence and John Cena, like uh, I, I guess some people, younger people now, because I forget that I'm nearly thirty-five, which I mean is old in you know <laughs> you know compared to I'm older than most wrestlers now which is scary yeah um, man yeah yeah um so John Cena was the first to have the WWE logo in the style of the old WWF logo as part of the throwback thing and this was yeah. before the whole legends um yeah. like promotion took off but around that time you know Jack's I mean classic superstars it it seems like because figure collecting has become this huge thing now again, like people are starting to appreciate the importance of what classic superstars was. I mean, they, when you look at the names that weren't signed to anything WWE, but they had figures like Brett Warrior, Bruno Sammartino, Demolition, who had like serious issues with WWE. Um, so around that time that you were there, the Legends, I guess, program started as well so yeah how was that sort of um brought up to you because i do remember it was the very start of like the shirts getting reprinted like the dx shirt and the austin 316 and you know things yeah. like that yeah i mean it was it's probably 
it was bigger for me on the publishing side than the merch, you know, because it gave me, you know, if you're doing a 128 card collection, uh, which is how they generally work out because of mm. the size of the paper and when you cut them down, um, when you have to like start doing doubles of Sylvian Grandier or whatever his name was, just to fill up a bit of space, it's like, uh-huh. God, I wish I could do like a hillbilly gym or something, you know. Mm. And and for me as well, because I grew up a bit in that sort of era, uh, it was great. So it gave me a whole new roster of people that I could use. And one thing w, WWE have always been good at, going back to like Inception, was having uh, a huge bank of it, imagery. And uh you know, it's where they make a lot of their money. It's why they buy uh, tape libraries from defunct uh, organisations. Uh, yeah. And um, so they can use those images and, you know, churn out merch. So for me, it was, it was great. I mean, well, my, my favourite bit of, of memorabilia that I've got is uh, an email from Warrior. And I had a conversation with him on, on the back of it. I, I rang him because um, we were looking at doing, doing the uh, poster magazine again in Italy and and the legend still had come out around that time as well. But obviously um, Warrior and WE weren't getting on, you know. They, you know, the self-destruction of the Warrior yeah. was coming out. And, um, and I've, I'd, I'm a massive Warrior mark. I, I, he was my favourite uh, WF uh, wrestler, and Sting was my favourite WCW. So you know, then when I found out about you know the Blade Runners and stuff when I was a bit older, I was like, oh my god, they're like best mates. Oh, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so I emailed Warrior and asking what the situation was, whether we could do a poster magazine, and he's like, and I've got this email, and it, it's classic Warrior. It's like. It's like listening to a promo, but in email form. He just goes off on all these different tangents. <laughs> um, just saying, no, he owns all his imagery and WE can't use any of it. And I don't think there was a warrior figure until like uh, like Classic Superstars 2, maybe? No, 1. Um, oh, was it in the first slot? Because I, I get the feeling that they had to start with a bang. In... Ah, but no, ah, but no, this was the thing. That was a deal with Jax. That was nothing to do with WWE. He made a deal with Jax. So um, he still wasn't talking to Vince or anything at the time. It, it was just with the toy manufacturer. It mm. wasn't, um, And they were paying him directly, I believe. Well, uh, they, so... they were doing that with like... A lot of the, because the legends contracts hadn't really started until no. really until about when Mattel kind of took over because Jax was signing. I mean, God, like um, like Zeus and Bastian Booger and people like that, and they would, they would give them a check and then give them a cut of the royalties. And WWE evidently, you know, never really stepped in apart from maybe to remove. Chris Benoit figures or to say you definitely can't make own heart figures but it seemed that everyone was on the table and some of the early Mattel figures even um, I think some of those names weren't under contracts either like uh, like yeah. Akeem and uh, King Kong Bundy and Rick Martin that's why we've never been able to get any of those since then 
Um, now, now that you mention it, I do remember having a certain level of frustration that Jacks were able to uh, put out these figures of these people, but I wasn't allowed to include certain legends in trading card collections or sticker albums or anything like that. Uh, it was because it was the the guy himself, you know, it was Warrior or it was Akeem doing doing a deal with a uh, with Jacks or Mattel on the side. Out, yeah, completely separate to any sort of deal that they had with a WE. So it it did seem to. I mean, it was exciting because, like, sort of, you know, my interest in current wrestling probably, you know, eventually petered off, sort of, in the mid two thousands, apart from a few exceptions. But that's when the legend stuff came in. So that's what kept me buying the sticker albums and the trading cards and. Mm-hmm the merchandise, etc. And it did seem like a, you know, even because Hillbilly, uh, Hillbilly, uh, Superstar Billy Graham was on some of the early tops um, trading yeah. cards. Um, bef- this was his first deal that he had before the one he has currently. Um, and it, yeah, it was just exciting to see. Um, and there were some really cool images chosen as well. And, um, you know, so you, I'm guessing you had the choice of, you were given like, 20 Billy Graham images maybe and then could choose which one you wanted sort of thing. Yeah, I mean it, it was certainly a case of you know, there weren't as many images of Billy Graham in the ring as there were of John Cena you know, <clears throat> yeah. cause it was all it was all you know, old guys, like I'm, I'm good friends with um, Bill Apter so, you know, if you know Bill oh, Of course, yeah. 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 yeah, you know and he started life as a photographer and you know, a lot of the images that were used were actually his from back in the day, but, you know, he'd have sold to WF at the time. And, um, yeah, so imagery was limited, especially, like, with me, because I'd, I'd get into, like, some of the more obscure guys, and it'd be like, oh, you know, have you got handsome Jimmy Valiant? What have you got? <laughs> what have you got of him and they'd have a handful of old images that were probably on you know actual photos that they then had to digitize and send to us um so yeah there was a lot less but it was it was a very similar thing they'd have ones that they'd internally approved and then we 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 could pick from those but you know billy Graham was an interesting one because you know again he was a guy who he was probably the first guy to come back but had a real fallout with Vince, mm. you know, because at, at one point they just couldn't stand each other, could they? And uh, oh, put you know, it mildly, and you know, when you look yeah. at some of the accusations that were thrown around and everything else, yeah, it it seems like Billy Graham still can't stand them, but he still oh, no. happens to have a, a contract at the moment, because um, yeah. a new tra- a new figure came out and stuff. But I mean, like you say, he was the first to really be embraced under the legends thing because he got. He got like six classic superstars figures out within the space of a year. Um, he got the book out and he got the DVD out, and of course he got put in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that DVD is one of the best documentaries they've done, I reckon. I agree. Um, and his biography is really good. I've got a signed copy of Billy Graham's biography. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, well, Br- brutally think... honest as well. It it seems like WWE didn't try to spin anything with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any of the publishing I was doing, I always got pushback from them that you're, you're breaking kayfabe. You know, they didn't use those terms because it's all very corporate. And 
you know, but like you're, you're pushing too much of a reality aspect. And you look at it now with network, and that's exactly where they've gone. It's reality TV. Everyone knows everyone's real name. Everyone knows, you know, who's married to who. And yeah. um, so we could see that coming. And that's the way that, you know, well, reality TV in, in the early noughties was fairly new, I suppose, wasn't it? You know, Big Brother and all that kind of thing. Hmm. But the, the lean towards that. And I think, I think it's Vince that hates it, you know. Um, do you think he still hates it though? Because it's it's, it's almost like it's. Sorry. No, I think I think he. No, I, you go on, but I think. Do I think he still hates it? I think he begrudgingly probably goes along with it now. <laughs> uh, it's almost like a second industry for them now that they've got this kind of like fantasy world, but also the real lives of them as well. And lines can be blurred because of that, because people don't know whether, like, Twitter feuds are real. Um, you know, um, you can k- still kind of pull the wool over the fans' eyes, even mm. the smartest fans, but you have to do it by, you know, well, work shooting, I guess. But not not everyone can do it, because if everyone work shoots, then you know that it's a work. But at the same yeah. time, when someone works shoots, it's hugely interesting and it runs the risk of making everything else seem boring because it's not, you know, embedded in some kind of reality. It's a fine line, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, that whole mix of reality, I think we owe a lot to Bischoff and WCW for that and you know, the NWO invasion angle was what kind of made wrestling interesting again, wasn't it? And everyone likes to know the backstage kind of goings on. You know, that, that's, I, other than the big four pay-per-views, you know, which I, I might watch with some mates or whatever. Mm. I'm getting on a bit now, so it's staying up till <laughs> three, four in the morning. So that, you don't more have to happen. anymore with the network. It's well, fine. That's true. But you've yeah. got to watch it live, haven't you? <laughs> um, I don't watch any of the programming other than, you know, I'll, uh, I'll watch some of the, like, I think the 24 series is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm loving the Undertaker stuff at the minute. Um, it's amazing because you know, we've been waiting 30 years to find out what Mark Calloway's about, you know. Um, did you see the Paul Bearer documentary? Yeah, I did. I watched that the other that day. That was so good. It was it was really emotional because it's just, it, just one of those personalities that you just gutted that he's just not here anymore because he yeah. made wrestling fun. Like, and you know what? I, I, I met him, I met, uh, Bill Moody, and, yeah, Paul Bearer. I met him in at the NEC. It was a, it was an incident that made the newspapers. I don't know if you, <laughs> you remember this, but um, I don't know. <laughs> so we were on on tour, and they were doing a show at the NEC, and I guess it was, it was one of the live shows. So I think it must have been Raw on the Monday, and that weekend had been like the National Kickboxing Championships held at the NEC uh. and the guys arrive on like a, a Sunday at, at the hotel that's there. I think there's a Hilton there. I can't remember, but um, all the kickboxing guys are leaving as the wrestling guys are coming in. 
and I was in the bar that night when uh, there was a ref, I can't remember his name, uh, had like a black moustache, can't remember his name. But um, Corderas? Jimmy Corderas? No, no, it was, bef- it was like... Corderas was probably a kid back then. Oh, was it? Like, was it not Mark Eaton who was also the the timekeeper? Could have been, but yeah, anyway, this guy anyway, got in, he got into an altercation with these kickboxers, and next thing you know, uh, Undertaker goes wading in, and a few of the other guys, <laughs> and and they literally just pounded some of these kickboxers, and stretched them a bit, and sat on them, and waited for the police to arrive. <laughs> and the police came up and arrested all these kickboxers he'd been getting tanked up in the bar. And uh, and I remember Paul Barrow, Bill Moody, just like wailing in the background, mm-hmm. like in character. And it, oh, it was incredible. It was so good. It was amazing. Oh, that, that's... <laughs> I bet I'm got... sat there like a little kid. <laughs> yeah, I turned into a 10-year-old. Going, this is great. Yeah. So when you start working for Tops, who was like the first wrestler that you met? Um, first guy I met uh, was Jeff Hardy. Was pretty early doors. Met met Jeff um, in about yeah, probably two thousand two. Um, he was cool. He was really nice. Um, big show. Uh, I've met him a few times. We used to like email each other, but it's kind of dropped off. We, I did a well. I was due to go and do a signing with Big Show at Woolworths um, back in the day, and and I couldn't make it for some reason. And I worked with this guy, um, uh, a, a guy called uh, Anoop, and um, he was like South African, and he had really long black hair. This guy and he, this this is important to the story. The fact that he had really long black hair, and he was a massive mark. Like he he, he didn't he was in finance or something. He wasn't really involved in the publishing side. I was like, oh, do, do you want to go and do the signing big show? You just got to make sure he's got enough diet coke and you know make sure he's happy. <laughs> and and it was like yeah yeah. And I, I emailed Big Show and I was like, right, I'm sending my mate. He's a massive mark. Try and freak him out a little bit. And um, <laughs> I've got this photo and it was Edge and Big Show. And they've both got their arm around Anoop. And Anoop was, you know, average height, 5'8", about my height, I guess, if not a little bit shorter. But he looks tiny in comparison to Edge and then, like, even smaller in comparison to Show. And... Um, They've taken a photo just after Big Show has put his arm around him and said, I like your hair. I wish my wife had hair like you. Do you want to be my wife? <laughs> and um, <laughs> Anu was kind of Asian looking. I've never seen like an Asian guy go white. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, like the show was really good fun. I interviewed uh, Benoit about uh, three or four months before. Oh, wow. oh shit. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I'd met him a couple of times, um, you know, knocking around sort of backstage at shows. And he was all, he was the most polite guy. He, he was mm-hmm. lovely. Totally the polite nice. ones, isn't it? Well, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Eddie, Eddie was wicked. Eddie nearly ran me over. 
Um, Please uh, tell me it was with his low rider. Well, it wasn't a low rider. Okay. It was a Jag. <laughs> it was a, it was a, a fancy Jaguar convertible. Uh, I forget what tour it was, but um, I forget where it, it might have been. NEC again. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the story, the backstory to it is, I, I used to hire people to go and put out the catalogs at, at, at the shows, you know. And one day they hadn't shown up, and um, so I'd I'd been literally every two seats in the NEC putting a catalog on the seat. I was like knackered. I wondered who did that. So yeah, that was you. Oh uh, well, it was me once. You okay. know? So, yeah, <laughs> normally we just uh, get some people in to do it, or the event staff would do it. But um, I was knackered. I was sort of um, leaning. I'd got down to the front, so like front row ringside. I was sort of leaning on the barrier, watching some guys work out. Or oh, two great stories from this one actually. And um, I realised like no one was going to stop me just walking up to the ring and touching it and I'd never done that and I was like right okay I'm going to do this and I just walked in like cool and then no one sort of paid any attention to me I, I had like a triple A pass on but you still you know show a bit of respect you don't walk into the locker room or anything yeah and, um, but you know the uh, Titan Tron was on and you know the, the big ramp I thought Oh, I'm never going to get to do this again. <laughs> so in my head, I had my theme tune playing. And I walked up around and uh, I'm like, yeah, all right, no one's stopping me. So I kind of might have done a little Jericho-esque pose. <laughs> at the top of the and I turned to go sort of through Gorilla. <laughs> and as I, as I turned around, I just hear like this rev of a car and it's Eddie coming around the corner. Uh, in It was a racing green um, I, I, it might have been an XK8. You'll have to look it up because it was like a live show <laughs> that Eddie Eddie drove because we don't have low riders, so he was in a Jag and um, he kind of got it. It wasn't like nearly hit me, but it was close enough. And he kind of just looked at me and shook his head, and that was really cool. My other Eddie Guerrero story is in catering. He um. And I've seen a few of the guys do it, but obviously food is just fuel for them. And I yeah, remember yeah, yeah. I was like sort of getting myself some chicken or whatever. And I looked and Eddie Guerrero had um, like three courses on one plate. And I don't mean like three like burgers or three steaks. He had starter, dessert and a main just in a big pile on a plate. <laughs> and he was just like spooning it in. That was really weird. Um, <laughs> um, oh, sorry. And my final story from that NEC tour was Paker. Um, again, I was just wandering around the ring uh, following for the following show. So they did Raw and SmackDown. And, um, yeah, I, I shouldn't have been there. You know, I was taking the piss a little bit. And uh, I was just sort of leaning on the barrier and uh, just whack on the on my back. I was like, shit, I thought someone had, like, steel-chaired me. And uh, I turned around, and it's Taker, and he's in, like, trackies with a hoodie on. And I'm like, oh, my God. And some some guys I, I could just about manage to stay cool with, but, like, Taker, you know, I just marked out. I was like, ooh, ooh, hello, hello. And uh, he's like, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm rich. Uh, I do 
the sticker albums and the merch. And I thought he was like, you know, like do a Miz to me and just throw me out of the building or whatever for being disrespectful. And he sort of looked me up and down and goes, uh, where can I get some of that Earl Grey tea? And I was like... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but I'll go and find you something. I spent, <laughs> spent the next 45 minutes trying to find Earl Grey and then couldn't find Taker again. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, a, a couple of things off that. Um, the like promotion for the sticker, because some of the signings in the UK were specifically because of a new sticker album that was out. Yeah. And um, there's a funny story about sort of locally. Um, oh, what, what, what's the local news agent called? Oh, it's gonna do my head in. Um, Mc something, Mackenzie's or something. Um, and uh, Johnny Nitro and Molina were scheduled to do uh, a, an autograph signing in this news agent, which is no bigger than. I mean, it's probably smaller than the size of a wrestling ring. Um, yeah. And when they got there, apparently they saw it and they were like, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> it just cancelled it. And then everyone who was in the queue just got free sticker albums instead. Um, but you were there for like those, I guess, were, were you, as part of the team, were you there to sort of organise these promotional events and yeah. stuff stuff like TV appearances as well? Um, the TV stuff wasn't, wasn't me. Uh, WE had their own PR agency um, who later in life I actually I worked with them um, uh, after tops when I sort of left uh, writing behind and moved into marketing and PR but um, uh, yeah the signings and stuff um, we did we got involved with and when I was at pedigree later on still doing the writing uh, did a whole tour of signings and again that was with Woolworths before Woolworths shut down. Um, that thing about Johnny Nitro and Melina refusing to go, I'll guarantee you that was Melina saying no, not, not <laughs> Nitro. Um, but uh, we did have a similar incident. Um, I had, it was at Wembley, and there was a Woolworths just around the corner from Wembley Arena. And we had uh, Ken Kennedy and I think, yeah, it was Tommy Dreamer booked. Um, and there was a queue, like a massive queue down the street. The Wool- Woolworths had bought in all these Tommy Dreamer figures. I don't probably ruthless aggression at the time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and a load of Kennedy stuff. And uh, uh, <clears throat> Dreamer just uh, arrived and said, no, I'm not feeling it going back to the hotel. <laughs> And I was like, oh, no, and there's hundreds of kids. And, um, but the, the irony to it is uh, I ended up, we had like two desks set up, and um, one for Kennedy, one for Dreamer. And I ended up just sat, sat down because I was knackered and just sat at this desk next to Kennedy, making sure everything was cool. And the amount of kids that came up to me and asked if I was Tommy Dreamer. (laughs) 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 They didn't know who the hell Dreamer was. I I couldn't look anything less like Tommy Dreamer. I used to get mistaken for Spike Dudley sometimes. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I've kind of got those Spike Dudley glasses. I used to have like almost Spike Dudley-esque hair. And if I'd go out the back for a cigarette and 
you know, most of the time, I'll be honest, I, I pretended I was and would wave <laughs> back at them across the road and stuff. Yeah, but, Did you wave like ECW spike would? Oh, that little wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, yeah. Um, but, so did that Woolies just end up with like 500 Tommy Dreamer figures? That yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah, <laughs> there's oh. probably a case. That they, they'd be worth something now. Yeah. On, on that... Uh, on that tour, it might be in that tour. It sounds, it sounds about the same time period. Uh, CM Punk and Victoria did a signing in Woolies in the Metro Centre by where I live in Gated, and yeah. um, I was used to at that point. I don't know if you ever came across this. You probably did. That they would have a road agent with them, and it could be Tony Guerrilla, it could be mm-hmm. whoever. And um, when Batista did a signing uh, previously, Tony, it was in HMV. I saw Tony Guerrero. I didn't care about Batista. Like, I wanted really? Tony Guerrero, <laughs> but I wasn't allowed to go and meet him. Oh, and um, so any time after that, I would bring sort of road agent merchandise, like a Michael Hayes picture or, oh, you know, because wow. you yeah. never know. And um, CM Punk and Victoria were doing the signing. And I had, it was a program, a WrestleMania 20 program with Victoria and Molly. And they opened it and a Doc Hendricks promo fell out. And they both marked out over it so much. And they got their pictures taken with the promo. And uh-huh. I wish that that would show up online somewhere. But I, they were like, why have you brought this? And I said, oh, because, you know, road agents sometimes are around. And they went quiet at that point because that was the 30 days that uh, Michael Hayes was suspended for calling Mark Henry the N-word. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I had some run-ins for a few guys. Yeah, like Randy Orton, I think he's openly admitted that he was a massive dick back in yeah, the day. It was that time period, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, I interviewed him for Euro shot and uh, basically uh, WE asked us to pull it because he, he was just straight shooting on people and um, talking about a lot of the divas in not the most positive way. And yeah. So, and then I, I saw him, again and someone introduced me to him and he just blanked me and he was a he was a real dick about it but um mm-hmm. mania 20 i was at i was at uh 2023 it was the best that was so good that was um yeah and like some of the um parties and stuff after and before were were amazing like I'd, I'd never met the rock until then and obviously he came back for um his match with foley didn't he against evolution and um yeah, yeah. yeah uh like we we're in a hotel on long island and the rock walked in and like i, I just squealed like a little girl and <laughs> you know, so i didn't look cool but he he was really nice and uh um yeah, a lot of the guys at Mania 20. I've got a great photo of me and uh, Linda. Um, wow. We got a little cuddle. Which was... not, not Linda Miles, I'm guessing. No, Linda Matt. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Mania 20 was really cool. And um, I forget which one was the one with Trump. But I was there oh, 23? Was it 23? That was 23, the hair versus hair. Yeah, so I was there. So I've been in the same room. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump and weirdly later on in life I was in the same room as Theresa May so you know I could have 
I could have saved us all a lot of worry. <laughs> taking them both out. Um, I'm guessing you weren't making Theresa May merchandise at that point. <laughs> no, it was not a lot of uh... <laughs> Um So I'm guessing from these shows that you've went to as an employee as well, you've got all the backstage passes and the lanyards and all that kind of stuff. Uh, not always, you know. Um, there's generally a, a licensee section um, where I'd end up, which were great seats. You know, but, um, were they in boxes or were they kind of? No, no, they were sort of just off the floor. So the first first lot of tiered seating was normally um, was normally uh, for licensees and. It's what it you was. want, either either front row or the first tier, because there's no yeah. point in being on the floor, but right at the back. No, yeah. and it was always amazing the people you'd see there, like. Um, Colin and Edith off of Radio One. Colin, oh yeah, yeah, he was a massive fan. I was on Radio One uh, post that, doing a a little thing about the sticker books uh, with Colin and Edith, and that was cool. So I met them, and then we did a bit of promo on on Radio One. The the cheeky girls met mm. them at an event. Uh, Pat Sharp, he's been, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> but I, I, th- I think honestly, my best experience was when they were over here on tour. I think it, it was either Manchester or it might have been NEC again. But I was, um, uh, I was like directly in front of the hard cam on the front row, um, and I've looked it up on the network when I when I bothered paying for the network back in the day. I can't remember what episode it was, but. It's quite nice to look at me sort of 15 years ago when I still had hair, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just on TV for the whole thing, you know. And Were you bit... there at the insurrection when they introduced Chris Tarrant to Naaman Holmes? And... No, no, I wasn't there. I wasn't <laughs> at that, but I do remember that happening. Some of the celebs they have are, are really weird. I remember we were, we were at a little free party thing uh, at one of the Manchester events, and... Um, what was his name? He's a commentator now for like New Japan. He, w- he used to be a teacher. Oh, Matt Stryker. Matt Stryker, yeah. So we were chatting to him and he was going to go out and cut a promo. Uh, and he was like, oh, yeah, so I'm kind of thinking of being mean about David Beckham. And, and I'm like, well, David Beckham's just left Manchester. He's left United. So if you slag him off, you won't be heelish. <laughs> They'll love you for that. He's like, ah. Oh, Oh, okay. So, yeah. And then sometimes you have to tell them how to say Glasgow, not Glasgow. Glasgow, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so it's it's funny little things like that that, you know, were the best bits of the job, really, I think. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. There's one question that's possibly my favourite set, that uh, card set that you probably were involved in. Um yeah. I wish I could remember the name, but it was the first set that was available in the UK that involved legends, and it was a green, like a dark green. That was, um, that was the Insider collection. Insider, because that that was the last set that had. Because I'm a big Christian fan, that was the last set that had Christian in it before he went to TNA. So this was like 2005. It doesn't get much, and I've still got because I worked in a store that sold wrestling memorabilia at the time, and we got in those cards. So we also got the the little poster that because the poster came in the box, you could put it on the window and stuff like that. And the poster had Bulldog and Piper on it, and it was uh, it was really cool. And one thing about that set, 
I think it was the first UK set that had autographs as well, like autograph chase cards. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking it up. Yeah, with the kind of green computer matrixy kind of stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I that was mine. Um, so, did you introduce the idea of the autographs, and how easy was that to well, sign off chase, on? Chase cards have always been a thing in the US, you know. Uh, yeah. And I'd wanted to do it. I I can't remember what was before that. It might have been Apocalypse. I did before that. Uh, Were they the little ones with the little scratchy circles on them? No. When you no. could sort of, I guess, if you if you cause damage to the ribs or whatever, you scratch the rib part off or something. Do you remember? I mean, obviously, you remember that. Like, yeah, that was kind of the beginnings of slam attacks. Yeah. Uh, it was after Insider, I think. But um, yeah, so in America, you always have chase cards, which would either be a signed one or, or um, you know, uh, a bit of ring mat from an event or a t shirt and. Yeah, so you'd get these little scraps of materials and be, uh, you know, they'd be built into these special uh, cards. Mm-hmm. But obviously, those cards were a lot more expensive to produce. Um, so it was something that I'd been pushing for for ages. And I think because, yeah, like you say, we've got the legends in there. Um, and the legends were on, I think there was like green ones and blue ones. And then the legends had their own kind of background. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw something uh, a bit special in there. But you know, getting those things signed was always a nightmare. You'd have to like catch the guys whilst they were here on tour, um, and then like get them to sit down for three hours and just sign and sign and sign. And yeah, the first few times I went to these things. I was like really excited. I was like, oh yeah, great. I'm going to get to talk to Kurt Angle for three hours. But the last thing he wants to do is talk to me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, there were a few, Kurt was one that I did. I think, um, who else was, and it was always a lot easier to get the lower card guys. But I think, I think there was a signed Rob Conway, maybe. Nice. Um, yeah. And I, I I don't know if they're worth anything anymore. But we also with that, I think one of the first times we did um, a binder with that. Yes. Uh, which I remember I really wanted to put a bulldog on the front, and I think it was the first time bulldog had been on anything uh, on on the front cover of anything for like yeah years i mean he was well dead by then i guess as well but um mm-hmm. you know since the old wf days probably since you know SummerSlam 92 it was the first time he'd been front and center uh, so i got him and then i think it was probably cena and angle maybe on the front and i remember there was like there was six images i think there was two women two oh, current, yeah, current stars and then Bulldog, and I'm sure it was Piper as well, which was obviously a nod to the UK in its own, yeah. not because he played the Scotsman, but obviously he was just huge over here. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you know you're huge when you get asked to come in the summer some 92 just to play the bagpipes for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like there's a few legends that I really wish I'd have met, and Piper was definitely one of them, just because, you know, from the stories I've heard from other wrestlers about Piper and you know obviously 
you always hear the Andre stories. And I, I'd have, you know, he, he passed before my time. Um, Dada was always someone I really wanted to meet because I was a, I was, I was a big sort of ITV Saturdays uh, WCW fan. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like Vader. I, I met Ron Simmons or Farouk. You know, um, I met him eventually. That was really cool. And was chatting about the old WCW days and his, his short run with the title and all of that. And um, yeah, you know, there's a bit like any business there's loads of really nice people and loads of not so nice people but um it, it was all oh god yeah it was always interesting i one last bar story if you like oh please yeah um, I, i've tried to wrap my brain about how we ended up in this hotel but it was in norwich or just outside norwich and it was one of the uk tours and Norwich must have been between two places and I was doing like uh I think I was doing like 10 days of the tour and just following the guys around and we were in this bar and like I say Norwich really weird little hotel and um yeah we uh, it was after a show and everyone was drinking and that and there was a pool table and um you know, like I put my quid on the pool table, like we do in the UK, and mm. no one could really understand that. And um, it turns out um, it was Cena was playing pool with uh, Ric Flair, <laughs> and it came up to my turn, and and I was like, oh, so what normally happens, guys, is the winner stays on, and Flair was like, well, John, John's just won, but you know, what about we take you on? So two versus one. And, like, and you know, me marking out. I'm like, oh, like a handicap match. Uh. So, so, <laughs> no, just us two play against you because you play British rules, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, cool, okay. He goes, how's about we make this interesting? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And he goes, well, but, yeah, nothing big, just a drink. I'm like, okay. And um, so we're playing pool and... Flair just goes into full flare mode. Uh, like he's poking me in the eye, you know, he's he's scratching my back. <laughs> yeah, like all pretty jokingly. But Flair is a massive dude, man. You know, even even now I imagine he's huge, you know, but no one thinks of, of Flair as being that big. You think he's mm-hmm. like an average looking man, but up close and personal, he's massive, you know. And, and Cena, you know, he's no, he's he's not skinny either. So you know, they're messing about, but like some of it hurts, you know. <laughs> like, oh, shit. And anyway, it, it gets down. Uh, black balls left, and um, I have an easy pot, and and Flair just picks the black up, and I go in, go in. He's like, hey, you've lost, but you know, by now we're just all like having a laugh, and. Uh, like, okay, all right, I'll get around the drinks. And I'm like, John, what are you having? He goes, oh, I'll have a Jack. And, and Rick, what about you? He goes, oh, I'll have a Cavossier. I come back with a shot of Jack and a shot of Cavossier. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? And just like deadpan me. I'm like, oh, have you seen your drinks? And he goes, little boy. We don't play for shots. We play for bottles. And I had to buy a bottle of Jack. 
from a hotel bar and a bottle of Cavossier <laughs> from a hotel bar, which you can imagine were like 80 quid each or whatever. Oh. I'm, I'm just some, you know, averagely paid writer. <laughs> and, uh, but then it was cool and we just got hammered and it was really good fun. That's super. Could you could you put that on expenses? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I'd have got in big trouble for that. <laughs> yeah, but if you just mentioned it's for Ric Flair, you know what can oh, they do? Oh yeah, it was for Flair. You know. <laughs> uh-huh. Um. Uh, amazing. Well, look. Thank you for taking some time and thank you for your patience about doing this over days because of technical. Uh, technical problems and everything no worries man it's been an absolute pleasure i've enjoyed it yeah it's you know one thing about wrestling is if you're a fan of wrestling you're a pure fan you're not doing it for anyone else are you because you know you're not doing it to impress girls definitely you know is and i think wrestling fans tourist fans that real ulterior motive for being a fan other than we love the product we love the art, whether it's AEW, WE, WCW, New Japan, it, it doesn't matter. I just think that we're like pure fans and we enjoy it for what it is. And, you know, there's the old um, the old saying, if if you have to explain it to someone, they're never going to get it, you know. And so we just like it. And it, it's just so much fun for me to be able to talk to someone else who loves it as much as I do. I want to be able to chat with someone who made some, you know, like a lot of merchandise that is a part of my life you know because i i don't get rid of stuff i just hoard stuff um so you know um to be able to chat with you has been a lot of fun and we're gonna have to do this again where we can just nerd out about um favorite action figures all that kind of stuff and, oh yeah uh, we've got to get into my action figure i'm i'm, I'm turning 40 this year and i'm also turning into the 40 year old virgin <laughs> yeah so no, I, yeah. I, to- I totally get it. Like, luckily, we're, we are, well, I'm neither. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know how that's happened with the amount of, uh, the amount of Virgil figures that I own, you know, um, you know, because it could be argued that one's too many, but, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, amazing. Um, yeah, I look forward to us doing a bit more of this and um, we'll talk about, Obviously, Euroshop eventually stocking the classic superstars figures, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. Pro- I'm hoping because of the letters that I sent in asking you to do it. You know, I might oh, take- right, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take full credit for that. Um, yeah, excellent stuff. Um, we will talk again very soon. So yeah, I want to thank everyone for checking out this week's episode of Hands Off the Merchandise. Visit bbgwrestling.com and also the SoundCloud page for a huge archive of interviews from everyone from Ahmed Johnson to Psycho Sid to Todd Pettengill, you know, just weird and wacky and wonderful interviews with a whole load of people. So yes, I want to thank you again and we will see you all next time. Mm -hmm.